0: I'd like to direct your attention to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 8. 1 Kings, chapter number 8. <clears throat> 1 Kings, chapter number 8, and verse number Six. If you got it, say amen. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. Oh, Brother Travis O'Gwen, they just had another little baby girl, the newest member of Cornerstone, was born several days ago. I was telling somebody i said you know as good looking as those kids are they just need to keep having them and somebody very close to you said you know he's i won't say your age but he's getting a little older and i said so what it's like a pastor verse number six and the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the lord unto his place into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark, and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without. And there they are unto this day. Now notice verse number 9. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables or tablets of stone. Incredibly telling scripture here. And I want to talk to us, this entire congregation. I have been sent to this place today to preach to you unrecovered treasures. Unrecovered treasures. Every hand raised, every voice lifted. Let's pray. God has a specific word for people in this house today. Father, by the authority the name of Jesus we give you glory and honor and praise we love you we praise you, we worship you we pray that the word of God would go forth and give illumination revelation and understanding we pray for every life, every soul even beyond this building we pray in Jesus name and everybody said amen. God bless you you may be seated. I wasn't really aware how big of a deal it is till I started doing a little bit of research about treasures lost treasures unrecovered treasures, but there is a whole sector of not just our culture, but in the world that has given themselves to the pursuit and the search for lost treasures. Even the Ark of the Covenant that is mentioned in this particular passage of Scripture, there's been movies that have been made, blockbuster movies, if you please, that have been made that are highly fictionalized, obviously, but there is a law of awe and wonder about the treasure of the Ark of the Covenant. The lost Dutchman mine that holds potentially billions has never been found. The tomb of Genghis Khan has never been located with all of the treasures that represented his holdings and the treasures of his burial has never been located. Montezuma's treasure has never been located. And a multitude of the Egyptian pharaohs, these are, when you look this stuff up online, they're just lists and lists and lists and lists and lists, and lists of some of the most valuable treasures that are yet to be discovered. In our reading and your hearing here today, this is a unique passage of Scripture. We see the dedication of the second temple that is being dedicated, and now the ark is being brought into its place. And it is mentioned here almost as a footnote, almost as if if you had a study Bible that this might even be more apt as a footnote than Scripture, but God wanted it to be known that there was nothing in the ark at the time of the dedication of the temple save the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. Amazing. The history of the ark and the history of these tablets of stone are enough to engender great awe and wonder. And the reason why this is so incredible of a statement that is being made 400 years after the fact that it was actually taken into possession. You may remember at the beginning and the outset of the book of Judges when the people of God had no king in Israel, that there was political and governmental chaos because every man did that which was right in his own eyes in the nation of Israel, um, were still involved with a lot of folly. They had not yet buckled down and buckled in and strapped in to living a life of consecration and dedication. And they just figured that all we need to do is bring out the Ark of the Covenant that brought fear and, and uh, great fear and, and great paranoia among God's enemies. The nation of Israel, their lives were living any way they want to. Idolatry was still rampant among God's people, which is why the book of Judges is the way that it is. But nonetheless, the Philistines came in for battle, and they, they brought out the ark of God. And there was a great, uh, there was a great rallying of praise when the ark was brought forth so that the Bible says... That the earth rang when they brought out the Ark of the Covenant. And the Philistines were greatly afraid when they saw that the Ark was being brought out. But because God's people's lives were not where they were supposed to be, God was not with his people, although the Ark of the Covenant was present. And God's people were soundly defeated in that battle, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken an incredibly dark moment in the nation of Israel's history, so much so that a child being born was named Ichabod to commemorate such an occasion. And then, of course, uh, the Philistines took possession of the ark. And so 400 years later, we don't really hear about anything about the contents of the ark. We, We do hear that some of the Philistines tried to look in the ark, and some of them were instantly killed. And then there was, there was emrods that overtook the nation of Israel as punishment for handling the ark of the covenant. And then David came along and tried to restore it back into uh, Israeli territory, and he put it on a new card. And you know the story, there was death because somebody reached forth to steady the ark, but it remains shrouded in a mystery for 400 years that we come to find out at the time of preparation and dedication of Solomon's temple that there is nothing left in the ark save two tablets of stone. The book of Hebrews, which is the New Testament commentary of the Old Testament, Hebrews chapter 9, verse number three and four, it says, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer in the Ark of the covenant overlaid roundabout with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. The two tables, or tablets that had the Ten Commandments, were never designed by God to live alone in the Ark of the Covenant. They were to have two different artifacts of supernatural memorabilia that were to be included inside the Ark. One of them was Aaron's rod that budded that was signification of God's choice in the ministry. And the other one was a living pot of manna that was God's absolute always on time God's keeping and is God's keeping of his people with a word from God. There was a fresh bowl of manna. It represented God's provision of the living word of God, the Ramah. The logos was on stone and the rhema was in the pot of manna. I want to say it again, that it was never God's design. That the Ark of the Covenant that was a representation of God's immediate residence and God's glory and God's covenant with his people was never designed to live without these two living artifacts of the supernatural. But yet these artifacts of supernatural at the time of the dedication of Solomon's temple have now been removed. And the only thing that's in this ark is a place of do's and don'ts. I want to tell you that living for God is a lot more than do's and don'ts. And I know that's what people are looking for. But if you ever get a hold of Aaron's rod that buds and you ever taste of that living manna, you're never going to worry about the do's and don'ts. It's I can live this. I want this. I've been looking for this. If you're sitting here today and this has been relegated to you is nothing more than do's and don'ts. This message is for you. In fact, in preparation for this today, I was, I was in my mind, I was thinking, you know, there there is, I don't want to use the word pressure, but there's a lot of encouragement for people to be a success. And there's a lot that can be said about moving forward and taking new ground and taking territory and, and, and moving forward and moving up and moving ahead. And, and I believe in all that. But in the midst of this great audience that's here today, there's not just people that are seeking to move forward. There are a lot of people that are just trying to get back. And I want to tell you that I'm on your side here today. And I want to tell you that God loves to restore. But you have to become dissatisfied with what you've been stripped and left with. You have to become dissatisfied with just sitting on a pew. You have to become dissatisfied with just filling the slot. It's time to go back and recover our treasures. Oh, all over this house, let's lift our voice and give him praise. It has always been, I've got, Hundreds of questions in my heart through the years as a student of the Word of God. I would see a lot of different scriptures and a lot of different scenarios that are described in the Word of God. And I would, in my own self, I would say, why this? And why that? And why this? And some of these, most of them are unanswered today. But that's okay. A lot of them God has answered. And I think it's healthy to have those kinds of questions about great scripture in the word of God, but I have often wondered why with the representation of what these great supernatural artifacts reveal, because you have to understand that the table's a stone. That is, that is not the will of God that you live your life according to do's and don'ts. There has to be something living inside the ark. It was the will of God that there is life in there, it's the will of God that there is prophecy in there. It's the word of God, the will of God, that there's promise in there. It is the will of God that there's something that never dies in there. And so these two artifacts of the supernatural, I, I've often wondered why there was not great, um, there was great, a, a decree went forth. And somebody said, I don't care where we have to go if we have to go to the ends of the earth. If we have to go around the the Amorites, the Amalekites, and all all those that dwell in Canaan land, let a great search be made. If they had to make a great search among uh, the Philistines to locate these great supernatural artifacts that so be it. But I cannot be relegated to lifeless tablets of stone. I cannot be relegated to just religion. I cannot be relegated to just a denomination. I cannot be relegated to just showing up on Sunday. I cannot be relegated to just going through the motions. I cannot... Oh, I'm going to preach here today. I need somebody to get on board with me so I can help convince you that although the devil has stripped you, God wants to reunite you with your supernatural treasures. It's obvious that somebody looked in the ark. Somebody said there's nothing in here but a couple old tablets of stone. First time that that was recognized and understood, somebody should have put a great army together and said, we are going into every one of these and God's gonna be with us because those are ours. God saw to it that the nation of Israel was restored to the ark. God saw to it that the tablets of stone that were in the ark were also recovered by the nation of Israel. Somebody, like a Nehemiah in the crowd. Somebody, like a David. Somebody should have lifted their voice and said, whatever it takes, we are going to be restored to these supernatural artifacts. God is a God of restoration. Now I really hope to convince us of that here, because there's some people under the sound of my voice who think, you know what? You dropped the ball. The devil's bouncing it, and the devil said, "You're out. You'll never play again." I rebuke that lying spirit by the authority of the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody, somebody in the back. I didn't even know you was going to be here today, but God knew you were going to be here today. And God said, I'm going to bring some information and I'm going to put a line between these two dots and I'm going to restore somebody once again to the sword of the Spirit and to the shield of faith and to the helmet of... Come on, somebody. God loves to restore. Yes, he does. There's some incredible illustrations in the word of God that reveal this. You may remember the famous story of David on the run. 400 plus mighty men that were traveling with David went to Ziklag. And while they were out doing their daily business, the enemy came in. And took their wives, took their children, took their possessions and put everything in a pile and set it on fire. And David and the mighty men of Israel came over the brow of the hill overlooking their encampment and saw nothing but smoke and ashes. And there was immediate grief. They were overwhelmed with grief. Men that were bloodthirsty killers for the cause of God. Their shoulders, they began to heave as they wept in agony at the loss of their families. And the men even talked of stoning the king. But David heard all this. David understood. David didn't take it personally. He understood, even myself, I'm suffering great loss right now. And, and, and I'm suffering the loss of all things. And now my men... Are talking about stoning me, but what David did? David didn't backslide. David didn't sneak off to Joe's Bar and Grill and and get on a bar stool and 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 he didn't and he didn't hit the marijuana dispenser and he didn't go back to drugs and didn't go back to internet pornography and didn't go back, didn't go back, didn't go back. But he put on the ephod and had a prayer meeting. I'm going to tell you at the time of loss when the enemy's got your possessions, if you've lost your children to the world, it's no time to backslide it's time to find God and put on the ephod somebody shout we're gonna get all of them back they don't belong to the world they don't belong to the devil they don't belong to the things of this somebody shout with a voice of triumph devil you might have had last week but you can't have today you may be seated you remember the story david put on the ephod found a place to pray and the very first thing that happened is that david encouraged himself in the lord I'm going to tell you one of the things that I think we really need to work on in the 21st century is we really do need to believe once again that God is for me and God loves me. I want to set the record straight against all the negativity that you've been exposed to all week long. If God be for me, who can be against me? You might be living In a cacophony of negativity, you might be surrounded with people that know that you're a tongue talker and know that you believe that there's only one God. But I want to tell you what, you and God are a majority. You, You and God are a majority. You're running that whole show and nobody even knows it yet. I can do all things. If you can't encourage yourself in the Lord, that's another that's another huge step that the devil makes in utterly stripping us and overwhelming us. But somewhere you've got to have enough experiences in God and enough pools and wells in prayer. That you're able to draw out of the wells of salvation when you need it the most. And you go back and remember when God tells you, I love you. I'm never going to leave you alone. I'm never going to walk away from you. You need to wipe the dust off that and say, devil, I'm getting strong right now. Devil, I'm remembering something. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Hallelujah. You want God to do something new for you. And God says, I've already told you something. I've already given you something. Wipe the dust off it and remember who you are. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. And David asked the question. He did not ask the question until he first encouraged himself in the Lord. God has a word for you, but God is waiting for you to get to the place where you will believe what he's giving you. Once David encouraged himself in the Lord, and he realized, man, I killed a giant with one stone. My own brethren were against me. But I still brought down a giant. The previous leadership might have had their thousands, but David had his ten thousands. There was more for David than there was against him. David used all that. He began to draw out of that. And once he got to a place of encouragement, he asked God, Should I pursue? Instead of just sitting down and folding your arms and saying, I don't feel nothing today, I guess God's not with me like he was last year, you need to say, you know what? God's with me always. God was with me when I got out of bed. God's with me on this pew. God'll be with me tomorrow. God'll be with me Tuesday. God'll be with me Wednesday. Come on, somebody. The reason why you can't get anything fresh is because God's waiting for you to encourage yourself in the Lord. Once you start remembering all the devils you whipped and all the victories you've tasted, And all the times you and God saw things happen together and God wanted you to see what he was doing, you need to draw from that. And then you can ask the question, shall I pursue? Shall I pursue? And God said, pursue. And thou shall recover 10% Thou shall recover just the tablets of stone. Thou shall recover just the ability to sit on a pew and not have the devil condemn you to death. You're going to recover everything. And finally, I'm going to take it a step further. You're not just going to recover what you had. You're going to recover what the devil thought was his. I'm trying to encourage somebody here today. God saw your mistake. God saw your failure. And God's wanting you to rear up and say, I'm going back after my call. I'm going after my integrity. I'm going after my faith. I'm going after my joy. I'm going after my anointing. I'm going out. Oh, I would that somebody would get on board with me. And somebody would realize that God sent me to this house today to restore you. You may be seated. And the Bible said, the Bible said, First Samuel thirty, verse number eight Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail. Oh, I would that we could believe God like that today. Oh, I would there's somebody. I preached on it on Tuesday night that the minute... That God shows you a little bit about your life and you begin to talk about it. You you begin to talk about what you think God wants to do. And you begin to talk about uh, God's anointing and God's purpose in your life that you make a mistake, whether it's moral, whether it's mental, whatever it is. You fill in your own blank. I don't care what it is here today. But what I am trying to tell you is this, is that God already saw my weakness. God already saw David's weakness. In fact, after David committed adultery, which is one of the violations of the Decalogue, that he had an innocent man killed, thou shall not murder, and he committed adultery, thou shall not commit adultery. David feared that that prophecy that was given to him, that God would establish his house forever, would be rescinded and retracted, but would you believe that Gabriel showed up unto Mary the virgin and said, he that will sit on the throne of David will come from you. Oh, let's clap our hands. Oh, let's get excited. It's not your failures that keep you from the promises. It's if you've adjusted to becoming a loser. You've adjusted to being a quitter. You've adjusted to giving up on God. Oh, somebody shout right now. Somebody needs to dance right now. Somebody just needs to say, I'm going to get it. I've been waiting for this a long time. I don't care what anybody says. I'm not looking at the clock. I'm not looking at anybody else. I'm going to get what's mine. Yeah, it takes effort. Yeah, it takes discipline. Yeah, your sword's gonna get bloody. But there's just something in me, and I don't believe I'm by by myself here today. I refuse to be a second-class Christian. When the devil reminds me what I've done, I'm going to remind him where he's going. Ha <laughs> ha. You can't repent, but I get to repent. You don't get the blood, but I get the blood of the lamb. You're not You guys believe this out there? You think this stuff just just happens, poof, automatic? Somewhere you gotta get a fight and a bulldog mentality that says, I refuse to just be the name on a tithing envelope. I want every I want I want to wring everything I can out of the promises of God. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things I don't like in our culture. There's a lot of things It's inevitable. I can't help it. It's the signs of the times. But one of the things that I am seeing that I am glad about, I'm seeing the church get a little bit more serious because they understand that the moral compass is gone. They understand that the politics is gone. They understand that Hollywood is hopeless. They understand there's no hope in this world. They understand God's trying to tell the church, your hope is where you've always been. Your hope is right where you're sitting. Your hope is right where you're it's time to go back if it's an old promise it's time to pick it up if it's an old prophecy it's time to believe it if it's a sword it's time to dust it off Thou shalt recover all. Look at verse number eighteen. And David recovered all David recovered all. I've already let the cat out of the bag. But when David got to whipping those Amalekites, the Amalekites, are you getting this? Come on, you biblical theologians out there. The Amalekites. The Amalekites would not let the nation of Israel drink water while they were on their journeys through the wilderness. And God said, I'm going to mark those people right there. I'm going to mark those people right there. You would not give my people paths when they were thirsty. They came out with swords. They came out with spears. And they said, get away from this water. And so God waited many, many years to cap a little coup on the Amalekites. And he asked his king by the name of Saul to get the job done. He asked Saul to go kill all the Amalekites. And you remember, he kept part of the best sheep and he kept the king. King Agag came out delicately and said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And that old prophet said, give me that sword. You ain't going to use it. I know what that sword, that sword's not to play ping pong with. That sword's not to play paddleboard with. That sword's for hacking people into pieces that are the enemies of God. And he hacked Agag in pieces and said, that's what God thinks of the Amalekites. But there was still a remnant by the time. There's still a remnant out there. And David taking the vengeance that he took brought a smile to God's face. See, what the devil wants to convince you is that God's against you. So you won't ever get up and start praying and start believing and pursue after things that have been taken from you. God is not against you. How do you know that, Pastor? Look where you're sitting today. Devil laying on a bar stool. I'm not in front of a big wide television screen watching some other lost people throw a ball, but I'm in the house of the living God. I've come through the fire, I've come through the water, I've come through my trials, I've come through my tribulation, I've come through my valleys, I've come through my tar pits and I'm still here. Come on somebody, clap your hands and give God the praise. God is not against you, God is for you. But it's time for you to ask the question, shall I go and shall I recover? One of the ways that you find the strength, the permission, and the direction, and lastly, the location. To be able to be restored from your treasures, the valuable things that God has given to us, is you have to come in contact with some form of elevation when David put on the ephod and David found a place to pray, he found a place of redemptive lift. And it was from a place of redemptive lift that he got his direction. And he recovered all. I can just imagine. David said, well, well, we got, we got everything that's ours, boys. And somebody in the back, I don't know, might have been Joab. Hey, let's take some of their stuff. I'm just believing that they took some spoil. Well, they had those Amalekites at the end of a sword. They said, all right. Give us all the jewels. If you'll get a hold of this, not only will you get back what was yours, but you're going to get some stuff that the devil's been trying to keep from you. You can't be feeling sorry for yourself you have to dry your eyes. you got to put on the ephod. you got to get some redemptive lift. And then you got to get a fresh word from God. You cannot look at your life from where you're sitting because you'll never be motivated. You'll never desire to go. You have to realize, you know what, that belongs to me. And that belongs to me. And I should be given Bible studies. And that's my anointing. And those are my promises. Come on, somebody. No, oh, there's a lot of people that are thinking I'm just, I'm getting exactly what I deserve. If you got what you deserved, you'd have been a crispy critter a long time ago. I just love those, those deals that vaporize those mosquitoes. If you and I got what we deserve, we'd have been like a little skeeter flying into that purple light on a moonlit night. While people are enjoying and having good fellowship. And it would have just been a... God is not looking to punish. God is looking to restore. I'm just going to cross theological swords with everybody. God is not here to condemn you. God is here to convince you that he is for you. He is with you. And he wants to elevate you. One more time, clap your hands and give God the praise. I rebuke every lying devil. I rebuke the hot, dirty breath of every lying spirit. One of the greatest stories of recovery. It's found in 2 Kings chapter number 6. Let's read verse 1. 2 Kings 6, and the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. That meant it's too small. We need a building program. So let's do something about it. Verse number 2. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. Take thence every man a beam and let us make us a place there where we may dwell, and he answered, go ye. Next verse. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. I got a whole troop of young men going to work. Next verse. So he went with them, and when they came down to Jordan, they cut down wood chopping it with axes. Next verse. But as one was felling to being, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. This axe head represents the giftedness that God has placed in your life. The anointing, the giftedness, the power and the awe of relationship with God the divine favor, the enablement, that which God freely gives and places upon our lives. It falls into the murky, dark, muddy water of Jordan. Next verse. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Number one. When you recognize that you've lost something, it's no time to sit there and fake it till you make it. Your silence is my invitation. I'll never forget as a new convert, man, I was running, jumping, shouting, praising God every service. Me and a couple other guys I don't know how spiritual this was, but we'd have drag races around the seats of that church, and it wasn't very spiritual. But we loved it. We were doing it under God anyway. Man, I remember coming to church one day, and my goosebump machine wasn't working. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel God. I didn't feel anything. Man, I lost this thing. What did I do? I haven't been. Got rid of my cigarettes. I have not spoken a cuss word in 37 years, thank you. My profanity was gone. The drugs were gone. The alcohol was gone. The girly magazines were gone. I was doing good. And all of a sudden, I don't feel nothing. I went up to the pastor. I said, pastor, I don't feel anything today. He kind of got a grin on his face because he knew what was going on. It's time to grow. God wants to know if you're going to live for him when you don't feel nothing. God wants to know if you're going to act like a married person when the taillights are out of your view. God wants to know if you're going to be pure when mama goes to the store and goes shopping. Oh, I'm in the Holy Ghost here this morning. You can get get quiet all you want to. This is the way we live around here. This is the way I preach. We built this thing from the ground. I didn't come here to give you a pretty little platitude. I came here to get down where you're living. God wants to know if you're going to live when ain't nobody watching. God wants to know if you're going to pray when there ain't a problem. God wants to know if you'll worship when you don't have a new car. God will. My God, I'm going to live for God whether I feel like anything or I don't. I'm going to go ahead and praise him because he's worthy, because he's glorious, because he's wonderful, because he's awesome. Somebody shout. Somebody give him praise. First first thing this guy did is he went to the pastor. He said, something's missing. Something's different. I can continue to go through the motions and hit this tree with this, this handle, but everybody can see nothing's getting done. I know it, they know it, everybody knows it. So he went to the man of God. He said, I lost that That was given to me. The man of God said where did you lose it? Where did you lose it? Well I did this. Okay quit. I don't know about you. But if I'm losing stuff because I'm doing stuff. I'm going to quit doing the stuff that's wrong because I don't want to lose what God's given me. If you'd rather have the world than heaven, then this ain't going to mean a lot to you. But you got to understand that if I'm losing stuff because of stuff I'm doing... It's time for me to get on my knees and find out how can I get rid of this stuff that I'm doing because God's got the power and God's got the know-how and God knows how to do it. So the child of God did what they were supposed to do. They went to an elevated position. They went to the man of God. And the man of God now cut down a branch and stuck it in the water. What in the world does that mean? That was an act of faith that this man did what he was supposed to do. I'm doing all I know to do Now God's going to do what only God can do. And the iron did swim. There's people right here in this room that you should be preaching this gospel. But you have accepted a secondary role because you don't think you can do this because of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I am here to blow up that lie higher than this ceiling tonight. I am here to absolute destroy the lives of the devil. If you want it bad enough, God says, you know what? I just wanted you to get up. I just wanted you to submit. I just wanted you to get in alignment. And now I will perform the miracle. And the I Did swim. And he handed the axe head to the young man, and he went back to preaching, he went back to working, he went back to building the kingdom. He went back to building the house of God. Let's lift our hands and give God praise. You can do this. Don't accept your secondary status. It's a lie. There ain't nobody here that's got secondary status. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. I feel in the Holy Ghost that somebody somebody needs to get beyond the fact that and they need to understand, they need to tap into what the Spirit is trying to do here today. The devil has one purpose against the church. Let's go to John chapter 10 and verse 10. And this is it. The thief cometh not, but for to steal. Pastor, I just wanted to call you up. Yeah, what happened? You know what? I really felt to give. This guy on the job of Bible study, and I felt the anointing of God for the very first time in my life. It's so exciting. He says he wants us, he wants more truth. He's coming, he's talking about getting baptized, he's talking about getting the Holy Ghost. That's wonderful, that's powerful. But the other thing is the fact that the, for the very first time, this young man felt the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and now he's doing everything he can. Where can I get more of that? I want more of that. I want. I want more of that unction. I want more of that power. I want more of that walking with God. And the devil says, "Hold it, hold it." And now he that. Steps out of the shadows, does everything he possibly can to distance me from my promise, my future, my momentum, my direction, my hope, my faith, my love, and love for God. That's what that word steal means. That's not taking a rattle out of a baby That's that's... that's In a stroller, that's talking about coming in and taking your victory, taking your promise, taking your hope, taking your desire, taking your want to so that you're just going through the motions. I've come to curse that lion's spirit to tell you that God will take it right out of his hand and give it right back to you if you want it bad enough. But you're going to have to get up and shake yourself. You're going to have to get up and do something. Man, they were having church. The enemies of the church got a hold of Peter and put him in the hold. The church went to praying for him. Because the church went to praying, there was angels that showed up in the jail cell where Peter was and loosed him in the midst of the enemy. You go back and read that. It's in the book of Acts. In the midst of all these soldiers that were trained to make sure that nobody moves. Peter gets loose. And now he's knocking on the door. Hey, you guys are praying. The answer's here. Hey, somebody's at the door. Don't answer. We're praying. (laughs) We're too busy being spiritual. Hey, your promise is here. I ain't got time for that, man. I'm getting spiritual. (laughs) What you was praying for is here. Quit it. People are watching me pray, and they need to watch me pray because they need to think (laughs) I'm spiritual. Finally, somebody opens up the door and says, what do you want? I'm Peter. They stared in disbelief at the answer of their prayers, slammed the door shut, went and said, let's keep praying. It's just an angel of Peter out there. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say God's already heard your prayers. God's already seen your consecration. God's already seen your desire. When the answer shows up, we need to be ready to say, come on, come on. The prayer room's over. Open up the door. The promise is here. Come on, let's lift our hands all over this building today. God is wanting to reunite you with your stolen treasures. I know I'm being redundant. Please forgive me, but I'm trying to make a point really trying to get this through because we got some new people in this congregation. And the first thing that the devil wants to do is the minute that you experience anything that validates God's supernatural power, glory, omniscience, omnipotence, omnisapience, I could go all day. He says, I got to steal that before he starts getting some momentum going and believing that God can really use him and now I'm going to have a bigger problem. I'm telling you, there's people that are speckled all over this audience here today that God is wanting to put that sword back in your hand and so that you can just start swinging it and swinging it and swinging it and swinging it and and do some real damage in your world. he was restored to the cutting edge because he got in alignment with a higher relationship. It is amazing what one real prayer meeting can do in the life of a person. And I'm not talking about just and I'm not minimizing it, but I'm not talking about just you know walking around, thank you Jesus, I praise you. That that, that I'm sure that has its place, but I'm talking about when you really get down to do business and you connect. I don't think that you can you can properly calculate the value of what that connection and that experience really means to you. But I can remember times in prayer and I apologize for using myself so much in this message, but I don't know who else to use. And I'm desperate to encourage people that have, that have you have just slumped into a secondary status that is not the will of God for your life. But I can remember in prayer and just experiencing that redemptive lift and now being able to see things from an exalted position and the difference that that made in my life and in my spirit and in my walk with God. Let's lift our hands all over this building today. I'm really praying. I'm really believing that God is wanting to restore some things here today, your sense of self-respect, your dignity. Put the shame and the secrecy under the blood where it belongs and let God put something valuable in your hand. The book of First Timothy chapter number one is one of the one of only two places, where it uses the word "shipwreck. The Apostle Paul running writing to the young pastor at Ephesus, is talking about people that sabotage their own faith, sabotage their own walk with God and make shipwreck. When they begin to rebuild boats, they take them to a place called a sanctuary where proper repairs are made to the structure of that boat to make it seaworthy again. But what of the treasures that were lost on the ocean floor of life while you were being restored in the sanctuary? I heard an amazing story, and I close this out today with one of the absolute most amazing stories I've ever heard in my life of an astronaut by the name of Gordon Cooper. Gordon Cooper holds several astronautical records that have not even been broken to this day, although he was at the height of his popularity in the 60s, part of the first NASA space project. He was part of the Mercury program. When he finally returned back to Earth, he was given a rock star's welcome still today. They consider it to be the largest ticker tape parade ever. He was given in honor of Gordon Cooper. Gordon Cooper was part, as I've already mentioned, he was part of the Mercury program, but he went up with a specific purpose. It was just on the heels of the Bay of Pigs political fiasco that took place under the presidency of John Kennedy where the United States was putting a stop to the Soviet Union bringing nuclear weapons into Cuba. Gordon Cooper, under the guise of the Mercury program, was to use special photographic cameras that were highly specialized, designed by NASA, that even at that altitude could read the license plate of a car. And so while the world saw somebody bringing an end to the Mercury program, Gordon Cooper was looking for nuclear weaponry, silos, hidden bases, and different stash piles of the Soviet Union using this incredible photographic equipment that even in the 1960s was, nobody else had anything remotely even like it. He... um, He holds the record for being in a spacecraft going around the earth more times than any other human being, over 20 times. He was in that little spacecraft circling the globe, focused on the Caribbean, looking for nuclear weapons, looking for the enemy. While he was looking for the enemy, he started seeing anomalies on his radio, on his photographic equipment that he had no explanation for. He saw little blobs that were in the Caribbean, just blobs. At first, he thought maybe it was some of the nuclear weapons that either Had been planted there or fell off the ships or whatever, but it started to dawn on him there's something in the Caribbean that's not weaponry. And with every revolution that he came around the earth, he began to dial that in. He began to write down coordinates, and then he wrote down another coordinate, and then he wrote down another coordinate, and he wrote down another coordinate, and he wrote down another coordinate. For many, 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 many years, Gordon Cooper kept that an absolute secret to himself. But he hooked up with a guy named Roger Miklos and his son, Daryl. Daryl befriended Gordon Cooper. And one day, Gordon Cooper is 85 years old. He said, I've got something for you. I need you to come to my hotel room. I have something. I've been hanging on to this all of my life. And so Daryl came to his room, and Gordon Cooper pulled out a file, a huge file, and handed it to Daryl and said, For many, many years I have traced all of the galleons and all of the ships that sank in the Caribbean with billions and billions and billions of dollars of gold. And he said, I have every single coordinate I have the maps. I can tell you where the boat originated, and I'm handing it to you. To this day, there have been treasures that have been uncovered and discovered because somebody got so high that they could start to see where the unrecovered treasures were. If you can get beyond the religiosity and beyond the Pentecostalism and beyond all of the fleshly tags that we all wear and allow yourself to get so high and deep in the spirit, God will show you where that treasure is. Let's stand today. I need a piano player. You've lost your burden. You've lost your desire. You've lost the hope that God could ever really even use or bless somebody like you, want somebody like you, love somebody like you, anoint somebody like you. There may be an old preacher under the sound of my voice that you gave up on hoping to holding on to a microphone many years ago. I'm here as a messenger from God to tell you that treasure is still out there. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance when God gives it. He doesn't want it back. I don't want that calling back. I don't want that anointing back. I don't want that back. That's yours. That's yours. You go after it. You get it. You be restored to it. You get it. Let's lift our hands all over this. I'm done. I wonder if there's a Daryl Miklos here today that is willing to find the whereabouts of your lost treasure come on man the bible was never intended to live without the spirit because the letter killeth the letter makes this hard makes living for god brutal it's hard to go to church it's hard to pray in the prayer room it's hard to win souls it's hard to do anything i'm not into it why The artifacts are gone, but they're waiting for somebody. This altar's open, whoever you are, wherever you are. Children, anointings, callings. Come and help us, Cornerstone. God came here to restore somebody. He'll show you where it is, but you gotta take it up, you gotta pick it up. You got to take it out of the prophet's hand. You got to dive into the sea and gather up the doubloons that are worth billions. This altar calls open. I would that everybody in this building come on up, find yourself in this altar. Come on, let's stand around this altar here today. We're wanting something new, and God says, No, you need to be restored to something old not something new, but it's an old anointing. It's an old blessing. Come on. This altar's open. Come on. Come and help us, Cornerstone.